Today, we're going we're gonna to look at a character in, in 2 Kings chapter 4. We did this last week. We, we, we talked about the woman, the widow woman, who, who came with her, her, uh, her one little jar of oil, and we saw the miraculous uh, event that took place in her life where God began to, to, to supernaturally pour out oil into her life as she was filled with emptiness. You may recall yes, last week we talked about being filled with emptiness, and I just kind of camped there, if you will, in Second Kings chapter 4. I couldn't get away from it. A couple of years ago, I spoke from this next story that follows right after the woman, the widow woman, and this is the, this is the Shunammite woman. It's the story of the Shunammite woman, and I just kind of decided I'll just camp there for a little while because I just felt led to, and uh, a couple of years ago, I, I spoke from this story to our, our ministers at our MAJC gathering uh, at our conference, and, uh, and I just could not get away from this particular word for right now and I believe it's for some of us today in this room this woman she has this she has this her life collides with the life of the prophet Elisha and we and through this story that we're about to look at uh, we see this amazing miraculous event that takes place in her life it all happens in a little community called Shunem and this woman they don't the Bible doesn't even give her give us her name it says that she's a notable woman she's just referred to as the Shunammite woman and and what we do know about her we don't know a whole lot but what we do know about her we know that she absolutely loved God with all of her heart we know that she loved the things of God she she and her husband they loved the man of God they loved the prophet Elisha and she and her husband loved him so much that they even did a little addition at their house they they built an extra room in their house I wish I had time to talk about the room and and, and the furnishings of the room and the significance of that we don't have time it'll be another sermon another day but they they built this room for Elisha they built this room for the prophets he could find a place of restoration and a place place of, of rest whenever he was when he was passing through and Elisha was so moved and he was so grateful that he begins to wonder what can be done for these people what what can I do to show my gratitude to them and so he calls in his servant Gehazi and he begins to question him and ask him he's wanting to know what can we do for these people and that's where I want to pick up in verse 14 it says what then he says to Gehazi what what then can be done for her and Gehazi answered actually she has no son and her husband is old. And so he called her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. Verse 16, then he said, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. Now let me, let me clarify something here. In this, in this moment, the, the Shunammite woman, she's not calling Elisha a liar. She's not calling him out here. Instead, she is simply expressing her shock. She's, she's expressing her bewilderment with what has just been said to her, what's just been promised to her. And she's literally saying, look, don't mess with my emotions this way. Don't, don't, don't joke around with me. Don't get my hopes up about something that I had given up hope for a long, long time ago because somehow, Elisha, you have found a way. You have somehow found out where that very sensitive place is in my heart and in my soul, that, that, that very, that, that, that sore place, if you will, that place that I don't talk about anymore. I've already put that away now I live a good life we've we've got some good things going on my husband and me we have a farm and we have we have good things in our life I even went and built a room for you with no expectation of anything in return and now here I am I am I, I, I'm not even looking for it I haven't even been thinking about it. I haven't even been dreaming about it anymore I put it away a long time ago and now you've reached into that very sensitive place in my life 
And you're telling me now that about a year from now I'm going to have a son? Don't mess with me. This is the way it is for some of us. When we have acquiesced to this maybe less than existence in life, when we've just accepted the status quo, we've just accepted that, you know what, I'll just kind of survive and manage this thing called life. And then then when we get in that place, the promise or the possibility of anything bigger, of anything better, any possibility is met with and many times slapped with the potential that there's ultimately going to be a letdown in my life. What's the catch? What's the disclaimer? What's the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say? Because you don't get something for nothing. And there's that famous line that we all love to quote, if it seems too good to be true, it, it, it probably is. And Elisha, he is making this very unnatural statement. It goes against all of nature. This couple, they are beyond their prime. They're old. They, they have passed their time. They missed their moment. And now the prophet is giving them a promise that they're going to have a child. Let me tell you something. We, have, we cannot rule out the God factor in our lives. We cannot rule out the God factor in our lives we are so focused so much on all of the natural things in our lives but there is a god factor that we cannot rule out because the god factor changes everything god specializes your god and my god the one who loves us he specializes in the impossible which means that whatever i'm going through in the natural whatever it is i'm facing in the natural the moment god puts his promise on it that situation becomes a supernatural situation all standard rules of creation, they all, ha- they all suspend their power to the power of the one who created them and when he speaks. Nature has to bow down. When the, when the creator makes a declaration, waters are going to begin to part. The sun will, begin to, will, will stand still and even begin to move backwards. Waters and winds and seas, they all have to submit themselves to whatever the creator says. And so in verse 17, it says the woman conceived and bore a son when the appointed time had come, of which Elisha had told her. I love verse 18. It says, and the child grew. And the child grew. If you'll allow me to use a little bit of license and liberty with the scripture today, I want to take that word child, and I would like to replace it with the word promise. Because isn't that really what we're talking about here? We're really talking about the promises of God. You may not be needing a a new child in your life. In fact, many of you would be cursing that statement right now if I said that to you. But we all have that promise. And this woman, she wasn't expecting anything. And she gets a promise. She added a room onto her house, making room for the man of God and the things of God. And now here comes a promise. And the promise was conceived. And the promise was born. And the promise grew. Some of us can appreciate this and and know what this is like. We know what it's like to say, I I, I didn't even know that that was a possibility. But then there was that sermon preached. Then all of a sudden I was reading the word and the the words just leaped off the page. Something happened and all of a sudden I caught a glimpse of the possibility. All of a sudden I caught a glimpse of what could be. I caught a glimpse of the potential of tomorrow. I caught a glimpse and I had an expectation of greater things. That experience, and I hope you've experienced this, and if you haven't, I pray that God will begin to to birth this inside of you today. 
that inside of every one of us there's that something Maybe there's that dream, there's that hope, there's that, there's that belief and that potential of something greater, that promise that God has put inside of us. I haven't met it yet, I haven't seen it yet, but it is in me and it's growing. It may just be in the embryonic stage right now, but it is a promise from God. And the next thing you know, you begin to feel the promise kick. Any mamas in the room who felt the promise kick then you begin to feel the promise move and then all of a sudden you realize the promise isn't going to stay here very long I am about to give birth to something that God has placed inside of me and when the time had come she she birthed the promise and the beautiful thing is is that the promise grew she's seeing the promise grow into the pos- into the possibility of what it could be it grows and it flourishes And then one day, and then one day, so many things in life are just like that. There's a possibility. There's a promise. There was a word. There's a hope. There's an excitement. But then verse 18 says, now it happened one day. It happened one day. Let me ask you today, you don't have to raise your hands, but have you ever had a day? (laughs) Have you ever had that day? No, I'm not talking about, oh, I've had a day. Man, that was a stressful day. No, I'm talking about you're, you're 45, you're 50, you're 60 years old, and you look back and there's been just a couple of three or four of those moments, and you always look back and you say, it was that day. It was that day. We, we think of these infamous days like 9-11 and, and, and uh, assassinations of presidents and these moments where we remember where we were. We remember what was going on. We remember the clothes we were wearing, and it was three decades ago. But it was that day. It always does. It always happens one day. It was that one unexpected phone call you never thought you would get. It was that letter. It was that pink slip sitting on your desk. It was the results of the MRI scan. It was, it was that event in your life that you now refer to as that day. The papers were served. It was the train wreck in the marriage. It was the hell that you went through. It was a day. It happened one day. The promise went to his father in verse 18 to the reapers and he said to his father my head my head so the father said to the servant carry him take the promise to his mother when he had taken him and brought him to his mother he sat on her knees till noon and then died the promise died the promise from God the word that God The living word was spoken, and the promise that God gave died. The promise is dead. The promise now has no pulse. There is no breath in the promise anymore. The promise has now ceased living. The very lap that gave birth to this promise is the the same lap in which the promise dies. What do you do when your promise dies? What do you do when you had hoped and believed that this was the marriage that God had ordained for your life and all of a sudden they're gone and they've abandoned and it's all over with? What do you do when you pick yourself up off the floor from from a, a puddle of tears in the carpet and everything that you had put your hope into and everything you'd put your desires into, it's all now dead? 
You had a dream. You had a hope. You had a plan with that. But now you can't even find a pulse. We had great expectations. We knew we heard from God. There was something that began to be stirred up inside of us, and we felt that whole germination process. We went through the embryonic stage, and we could feel the kicking and all the possibilities and all the excitements. We all, all the excitement, we all know that moment, that excitement that comes with the anticipation of a new child. Oh, you love visiting the fourth floor of St. Francis, don't you? It just nestled right there in the middle of all of, the, all of the sickness and all of the despair and all the darkness and even death nestled right there in the middle of the hospital is, is the fourth floor. Because in the fourth floor, in the middle of all of the darkness is now excitement and anticipation and, and this promise and hope of life. We all love that. But then one day the promise dies and the question is, what do you do with your dead promise? The normal order of things, what we all would do when maybe when we lose a loved one, when someone dies, we, we, call, for, we call the funeral home and, and they come and they begin to take over and they begin to take us through the steps and walk us through the process. But the woman is so caught up and she knows and she understands that this was a promise from God. This wasn't of my own doing. This was something that God had birthed inside of me and she was so caught up in that that she refused to bury her promise even though the promise was dead. I, I could probably just stop right there and say amen right there because there are some of us in this room right now that need to just go ahead and make a declaration. This was a promise from God. This was something that God spoke over my life. I will not go to the cemetery. I will not go to the funeral home. This was a promise from the Lord. It may look dead to me today, but a promise from God never dies. Verse 21, it says, And she went up and she laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door upon him, and went out. Notice what she does. Rather than going to the cemetery, rather than calling Craig Gill, she takes the promise back to where it all began. She took her dead promise back to where it all began. She takes the promise back to the room of her commitment. She takes the promise back to the room of her consecration where she said, from this day forward, I'm never the same. I'm going back to where I felt the call, to where I responded to the word of the Lord. I'm going back to the point of my agreement. I'm going back to the place where we decided to add this room on to begin with for the prophet. I'm going back to where this whole thing started before I ever even dreamed that all of this could happen. I'm taking the promise back to the room of the promise maker. Can I just encourage every one of us today? We need to build a room. If you don't have a room right now, build a room. I'm not necessarily talking about a physical structure. For some, it may be. It may be that, that sacred little closet somewhere. It may be that little spot under a stairwell. It may be that, that back road on that gravel road that no one ever travels that you say, when I get on that road and I just me and the gravel road and the Lord, but that's where I take my stuff. That's where I go. I don't go everywhere else. I don't take it to everybody else. I go back to the place. I love that song that we used to sing take me back. I think it was an Andre Crouch song, take me back, dear Lord, to the place where I first received, where I first believed. Take me back. When we find ourselves looking at a lifeless promise, we got to be able to go back to the room. And then she laid him down and she shut the door. There are some folks who are walking around today heavy laden. They're hauling around dead, decomposing promises. Uh, we're hauling around 
the marriage that didn't work. We're, we're, we're hauling around the failure and the mistakes from yesterday in the past, and we're just carrying around decomposition. Listen to this. She didn't bury it, but I want you to hear this. She also didn't carry it. She didn't bury it, but she didn't carry it either. She laid it in the room that she had built for the promise maker, and then this is very important. She shut the door. She shut the door. Aren't we guilty of laying it down? and then picking it back up again before we walk out the door. Okay, God, I'm giving it to you. I'm surrendering it to you. But just in case, let me take a little bit of this with me. She, put, she laid the promise down, the dead promise down, and she closed the door. And in verse 25 it says, And she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. She went after the one who made the promise. She gets to Elisha, and she is crazy with emotion. You'll see it. But she's so distraught and overwhelmed. But, but there's something that happened between the time she left her home and she actually got to where Elisha was. She has a couple of encounters. The first thing she does, she goes to her husband. I alluded to this last week. She goes to her husband. She says, I need, I need a donkey and I need a servant. I'm going to Mount Carmel. And he asks, what's going on? And she goes, it is well. She says, it is well. She begins to make her journey there. Elisha sees her afar off. He sends Gehazi ahead, and he says, go find out what's going on. Gehazi meets her and says, is everything okay with you? Is everything okay with your husband? Is everything okay with the boy? You know what she says? It is well. It is well. Now, I believe there's two reasons she said this. I believe there's two reasons. The first thing is, is it was well with her soul. Can I tell you, everything doesn't have to be well in our natural circumstances of life for everything to be well with our soul. I love that song, It Is Well With My Soul. If you go back and read the origin of the one who wrote the, wrote the song, the author of the song, and when and how in the circumstances of his life, everything was not well in his life. He had lost everything that was precious to him, but he could say with great assurance, it is well because it was well with him. That's why she wasn't lying. She wasn't, she wasn't doing mind over matter. She, she truly meant it is well. But there was a second reason, and we touched on this last week, and I won't, I won't belabor this, but you've got to be careful who you allow into your dead places. You can't just let anybody in. You can't just talk to everybody. You can't talk to every coworker about every problem that you're facing in your life. She was very cautious. She says, there's only one person. The one who made the promise is the only one I'm going to talk to about the dead promise. In verse 28, she asked him, Elisha. She said, did I ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? She's reminding him. She's reminding him of what all happened and how that all took place. She takes him back to where it all began, to a feeling maybe that many of us may be feeling today. We, we may be saying, I didn't ask for all this. Uh, Lord, I'd rather not have even had the promise than to have had the promise and have it die. After all, what was wrong with my status quo life? What was wrong with me just kind of doing this, this thing, uh, getting by thing? What, what was wrong with me just, just being in the place that I was and just kind of managing my little life and, and just, just acquiescing to this lesser than place? What was wrong with that? You gave me a promise, and when you gave me a promise, I stuck my neck out. And because you, because you gave me that promise, I walked out on that limb. And when I walked out on that limb, guess what? The limb broke. Did I not tell you, don't deceive me? If I'm being honest with you, I will tell you, I have prayed prayers like that. I was wrong. I know I was. It was mighty arrogant on my part. I know that. 
And I'm thankful that I have a God whose shoulders are broad. I'm thankful I have a God whose heart is huge and he understands my pain and he understands my questions. And after all of my questions and after all of my self-pity and after talking about what was me and how bad is my life, the promise keeper and the promise maker was still there. She said, I didn't ask for all this. I was living my little box life in my little safe world and you gave me a promise and now the promise is dead. Don't give me something just to take it away. Better to have not dreamed and never had than to have dreamed and lost that dream. For some, maybe it's that person, that loved one you prayed for, but the loved one died anyway. You were believing, you were, you were declaring and speaking healing over their body, but they died a physical death. Whatever it is that says, I had it and now it's gone. I've been robbed, I've been ripped off. Here's the precious thing. Here's what we know. Here's what we know about our God. We have a high priest who has been and who can be touched by the feelings, all the feelings that we're going through now, all the feelings of our infirmities. Nothing touches us that doesn't touch him. We've got a Savior who's been moved by what moved up, moves us, and he has felt all the pain that we have experienced and felt. If we're orchestrating our lives, if we were the ones writing the book of our lives, this is, what, this is how it would go. Well, I was born, I started, things got better, got a little bit better, and then things got really, 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 really great, and then I died in the end. <laughs> that's how we would write the book, isn't it? That's, that's the life that we're all looking for, right? But I'm so thankful that God doesn't do it that way. God doesn't answer all of my prayers the way or in the time that I think he should, but he never wastes our faith. He never wastes our faith. He never has and he never will. It's against his character. Our faith is never wasted with God. God is working on our behalf even when our prayers don't seem to be working at all. This woman is weeping. She's weeping over her dead promise. But little does she realize that when all this is said and done, this is a setup. This is a setup for the greatest thing, the greatest event that's ever happened in her life. This is the thing that's going to take her over and beyond. Verse 32. Am I preaching too long yet? I, I told people this week, I gotta learn how to I gotta learn how to get it into 20 or 25 minutes. It's just so hard to do. Verse 32, when Elisha came into the house, he, he comes back. There was the child lying dead on his bed. He went in, therefore, shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Here's the key. Elisha got alone. Just him. And the dead promise, he shuts out the mother and the father and the servants and everyone else. He shuts them out and he gets along. Just the promise maker and the dead promise. When's the last time? When's the last time you shut the door on doubt? When's the last time you shut the door on others' opinions and criticism and those who, those who, who, who don't understand? When's the last time you shut the door? When's the last time you just got along? Just you and the dead promise and the one who made the promise. The problem is we've been so inundated with information. We have so much information. With, we're so inundated with fact. Fact. We need facts. Watch the news. You'll get some facts about things that's going on in the world. But we forget. We forget as we're, as we're ingesting all the facts. We forget that as children of God, as the people of God, we don't just simply live by fact. Now, we don't go bury our head in the sand and act like there's not some real facts in the world. 
but we don't live by facts. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. See, we live by truth, and there is a difference many times between fact and truth. There's a difference. Fact comes many times in the form of a doctor's report. Fact comes in the form of divorce papers being served. Fact comes in the form of unemployment. Fact comes in the form of rejection and abandonment and betrayal. Fact is the doctor saying, you've got cancer. That's a fact, Jack. But truth says, by his stripes, I am healed and made whole. So thank you, sir, for the fact. But I'm going with truth. The truth says, the truth says, Thanks be to God who always causes me to triumph. I don't know how. I don't, I, I, all I can see right now is the facts. That's all I can see. And the facts in my world, it, the fact is, is that my world is turning upside down. The fact is, is that everything is going to hell in a handbasket. The fact is, is that I don't see a way out of this situation. But truth says that if God is for us, who can stand against us but we've got to shut the door we got to shut the door on all the armchair quarterbacks we have to shut the door on everyone else's opinions and just get along with God and our dead promise verse 34 it says and he went up and lay on the promise put his mouth on his mouth his eyes on his eyes and his hands on his hands and he stretched himself out on the promise and the flesh of the promise became warm it's difficult to see a promise when the promise is dead it's difficult to be nose-to-nose -nose with a thing that's not breathing back. What I believe the scripture is telling us is that before any dead promises come to life, we have to see it. We have to come face-to-face -face with it. We have to feel it. When all fact comes against us and says, uh-huh, it didn't work. It's the work of the enemy to tell us, uh-huh, all those things you believe for, that wasn't really God. That wasn't the promises of God. We've still got to stretch ourselves out, and we have to feel it. We've got to hold on to Romans 4, 17 that says, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. I'm preaching better than y'all are responding today. Man, that's good preaching. I'm sweating. I'm joking. I'm joking. Truth says, truth says, have you seen my child? Have you seen my child who's an overcomer? Who's walking in the fullness of God? Who's being used as a minister? That's what truth says when all the facts are saying, do you know my prodigal child who's living a loser life right now and will probably be the death of me? There are some of us who we've buried promises because God didn't answer the way that we thought he should or when we thought he should. It's time to dig up the dead promises. I believe it would be good for all of us today to go dig the shovel out of the, out of the storage room and make a trip to the cemetery and begin to dig up some promises. He may not be working the way I expected him to. He seldom does. <laughs> and thank God for that. His ways are higher than mine. But that doesn't mean that he's not working. You may be crying now, but let me remind you that weeping endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. We've got to dig it up. We've got to dig it up. Verse 35 says, he returned and walked back and forth in the house and again went up and stretched himself on him. And then the promise sneezed seven times and the promise opened his eyes. Can I just tell you today that no promise from God is ever completely dead. 
The promises of God are yes and amen. They are forever. The promises of God don't die. That's the reason why Jesus, if you look in the New Testament, he's calling people that are walking around breathing. He's calling them dead, but everybody that people were calling dead, he said, oh, they're just sleeping. They're just sleeping. What's your dead promise? What's that thing you have believed so strongly for? What's that thing that you have put in the ground? That thing that you said, I was going to be. It was going to be this. I felt I could. We had all believed. We had all hoped. But now it's in the cemetery. Dig it up. Dig it up. You don't bury dead promises if the promises are from God. You don't bury it and you don't carry it. I'm closing. I'm for real closing, for real, I promise. I'm so disappointed right now because right about now, right about now is when we would all be enjoying football every weekend. <laughs> Saturday, all day, college game day, Sunday afternoon, NFL, and here we are. I don't know what I'm going to watch today. I don't know what I'm going to do today. But if you love football, you might understand this analogy a little bit. You pounce down the field. And with just about 20 seconds left in the game, you score to take you up five points over your opponent. You're now leading by five. You're about to kick off to the opposing team. They have no timeouts. They've only got 20 seconds on the clock. It's over, folks. Victory is mine. The promise is we won. But there's one thing we discounted. We, we, we didn't think about the fact that there's a Manning. There's a Manning, M-A-N-N-I-N-G, on the other sideline. And the problem is, is you can never rule a Manning out. You can give them 20 seconds, coach, am I right? You give them any 20 seconds, no timeouts, and a whole football field length to go. Don't rule them out. So what does Manning do after you kick off and they, they, they receive it at, the five, at their own five-yard line? Manning, Peyton Manning, begins to methodically. This sideline, two seconds. He gets 20 yards. This sideline, four seconds, out of bounds, another 20 yards. Before you know it, there's only four seconds left on the clock, and Manning's in the red zone. What do you do? Wait a minute. We had a promise. We had a victory. We were already celebrating in the end zone. The game was over. We won. But wait a minute. That's right. Manning takes the, takes the snap. He lobs the ball into the end zone. It's like slow motion. Your quarterback even gets a tip on the ball. And the receiver, he's bobbling it, and he's bobbling it. And finally, he makes the reception. And while the ball was still midair, the clock ran out. The game is over, and he makes the reception. And the referee runs out on the field with his hands up. Touchdown! They just won. By a point, you lost the game. The promise is dead. The ruling on the field is it's a touchdown. But you know what? The NFL implemented something a while back, and every score has to be reviewed. Every score has to be reviewed. 
So word comes down from the booth. We've got to look at this one again. We're not so sure his feet were in bounds. We're going to look at it again. And where a minute ago you couldn't hear yourself think, now with 60,000 of your closest friends, you can hear a pin dropped. You're watching it on TV. The referee on the field goes over with a, with a set of headphones, and he's, looking in the, he's listening, and he's talking. He's looking on a camera, too, and, and, and you're trying to read his lips. You're just, you're just on edge. You're right on the edge of your seat. What's about to happen? And there are times when the referee will take his headphones off. He walks back out on the field, and he says those words that no one wants to hear. The play stands. The play stands. But can I tell you? There are other times. There are other times when that referee will take the headphones off of his head. He walks back out on the field. You see, we got to know something. There is someone that you've never seen before. You've been watching this game for three and a half hours, and there's, a, there's this person that you've never even laid eyes on. You don't know what they look like. You don't know what they sound like. But they are looking at the game from every single angle. See, we're on the field. We have a one-dimensional view. We only see what we can see. But there is someone else that's up in this high booth, and he's seeing things that we don't see. He's looking at things from angles that we can't see from our perspective and where we are. And where we call it all dead, he's seeing something else. And so sometimes the ref will come back and say, the play stands. But then there's other times, and everybody wants to hear these words. Upon further review. Upon further review. Can I tell you? Upon further review, everything changes. Upon further review, let me just say this, at some point, someday, somehow, we're all going to have to realize that every dead area of our life is under further review from upstairs. God has a higher vantage point. He sees the situation from angles that we can't even access. You're on the field playing the game, and you think you know what happened, but trust me, he sees another perspective. He sees it all. And what we've got to do, as those coaches do sometimes, when it didn't go the way we thought it was going to go, when we had that promise and we were believing and hoping with this promise, and then all of a sudden we find that the promise is dead, you know what we got to do? flag that every head coach gets and it ain't going the way he thought it should go if it looks a little different to him than the way the referee said it was he says look at it one more time look at you take it under review one more time it looks dead it doesn't look very promising from your angle but i i want the man upstairs to look at this one i i want a different vantage point on this one i'm tired of your criticism i'm tired of what you have to say and analyze my situation my promise seems to be dead but god says this if i train up my child in the way they should go that when they are old they will not depart from it it looks to me though like they're departing God's word says he'll work all things together for my good. But can I tell you, this doesn't look very good right now. 
at some point in time, we've got to do like that coach does. And we just got to back up and say, hold on. Flag. Hold on. Look at it again. Run the tape one more time. What's that one more time? The earthly report says one thing, but wait, check it again. I believe that if God speaks a promise, the promises are yes and amen, and they are forever, and they never die. I can just hear saying, I can just hear heaven saying this upon further review. Everything changes. Can you hear heaven saying that over your life right now, over your children's life, over the situation? Upon further review, I speak life into that situation that seems dead. Upon further review, you win and you are victorious. Upon further review, the prodigal does come home. Upon further review, the marriage is restored. Upon further review, the depression is lifted. Upon further review, I do walk in the promises of God. He makes a way where there seems to be no way. Upon further review, and this is my last and final closing, one verse. One verse. This is it. I'm done. I promise. I'm going to the house. I'm going to the baptistry tank. He called Gehazi. After the child's eyes opened, he sneezed. He calls Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite woman. Call her. So he called her. And when she came in, you know what he said to her? promise. Pick up your promise. Too many people are sitting down right now because there's some folks right now that you just need to make that physical step and say, you know what? I'm standing up and I'm picking up my promise upon further review. Pick up your promise, he says to her, if God says it's living, it never dies. If it's a word from God, it never dies. God's word is forever. His promises are true. Pick up your promise. Whatever that is in your life, whatever that thing up on a long time ago. Pick it up. God says it's never over. It's not over until he says it's over. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Let's worship together today. Jesus.